Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. To learn more about our church, give, share a prayer request, or access our weekly worship guide, visit us at www.restorationlex.com slash this week. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. My dad's back there. Happy Father's Day to him. Good to have you guys here today. I had a great week uh, not being here last week. Uh, my friend uh, Casey did a great job. If you weren't here, he, he'd go back and listen to it, starting out our Romans 8 series. We were in Washington, D.C. as a family, which was a lot of walking and history and museums and lots of things like that. It was really fun to get to be a part of and see. So I'm glad to be back with you as we jump in here on this Father's Day He jumped into this series of Romans 8, which we're going to be in for seven weeks as a community, starting with the first four verses, and talk about our freedom in Christ, that we're free from condemnation, that we are free from the law, that we've been set free in the spirit of life. And that freedom is not something we're just freed from, it's something we're freed for. We're freed, namely, to love. Love is the end goal of our freedom. And if we're not moving towards love, we're not moving towards freedom. Freedom gets a lot of talk in a country like this, but the Bible defines freedom as the freedom to love, not the freedom for ourselves. That's what we see over and over again. But that kind of love is not found in our own effort. It's not something that we achieve. It's something that we learn to receive and then give, and that comes in and through the Holy Spirit. As we move into deeper into Romans chapter 8, we see the Holy Spirit be constantly brought up, constantly referenced as the foundation of how we understand this passage. So I know when I say Holy Spirit, there is a lot of baggage that comes with that word. When some of you hear Holy Spirit, you've been a part of some theological extremes. You've been the victims of bad theology. I grew up in a denomination that we believed in the Holy Spirit, but we believed in the Holy Spirit the way we believed in grizzly bears. Namely, that they exist, but not around here, right? We kind of keep our hands, you know, the Holy Spirit's kind of the arm's length part of God that we don't deal with very well. It's sort of God's roaming buzzkill making you feel guilty about everything you do that strays outside the bounds of good behavior. That's the world I grew up in. But then I spent many years in a charismatic environment where I saw the good, I saw the bad, and I saw the ugly of of what practice and theology can be around the Holy Spirit. I knew someone who when they stubbed their toe or hurt themselves, they would drop F-bombs and speaking in tongues interchangeably. It was, this, it was as if it came out of the same nozzle all of the time. And as a worship leader in this environment, I also learned how easy it is to emotionally manipulate and manufacture feelings and call that the Holy Spirit. I learned that the hard way. And to be honest with you, it took me many years to overcome a lot of the cynicism and the baggage that accumulated in that season. And maybe you're there too, because as this church has become quite a lot of people who are overcoming hurt and baggage from church experiences in the past, not all of us, but many of us, uh, we need to understand how that baggage impacts 
our understanding of our theology as well. So from the baseline of how we understand the Holy Spirit, we need to start here. Foundationally, the Holy Spirit is a person and not a force. The Holy Spirit is God's personal presence with us, not an impersonal power we wield like some sort of X-Men. And I have seen people like this that absolutely walked around sticking hands out like they could shoot Holy Spirit out of their palms. And it's not like that, my friends. The Holy Spirit is God. He is the third person of the Trinity who dwells in us and is for us. We believe fully in the gifts of the Spirit, but we do not wield the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wields us. Amen? That truth undergirds our passage today in Romans 8. This passage that is easy to misconstrue, easy to be misleading if we don't start with a firm foundation. So let's jump in, let's read this passage, and let's pray. It says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live according, in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind that's governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Father, we come to your word humbly, not as something that we wield as a weapon, but as something we submit to and receive as something we know is living and active because you, God, are living and active. You are alive and speak through your word to us to form us and to shape us and to, to give us life in the way that you desire us to be and being formed into the, the image of Jesus together. And so, Lord, as we look into these words of yours, we ask, God, that you form us into the people you long for us to be, into the goodness that you long to give us as we submit follow you in the name of Jesus all God's people say amen so this word first of all this word flesh is important for us to unpack there are two words in the New Testament that kind of are similar but are very different there's this word flesh which is the Greek word sarx and flesh in this sense is not the same thing as the Greek word soma meaning body flesh speaks to the corruption of sin and the body and in our mind. Now what Paul is referring to here is not our physical bodies, but the impact on our bodies and minds by sin and brokenness within them. So what we need to know absolutely clearly today is the Bible is not telling us that our bodies are evil. Are you hearing me? Our bodies are not evil while the spiritual stuff is good. You can take verses like this and believe that there are spiritual things out there that are good and that our physical bodies, our physical realities are where all the evil and bad stuff dwell. Here's the problem with that mentality. That's not Christianity. In fact, this is one of the oldest and most popular heresies in the New Testament church. It's an idea called Gnosticism. It was popular back then, and to be honest with you, it's still very popular right now. It resembles Plato and Greek philosophy more than it does Jesus. And again, it was popular then, and it's popular now. 
And here's why this idea is so dangerous. Because if my body is evil, and if it exists as a separate reality from my spiritual life, then it doesn't really matter how I treat it or how I treat others by me or how they treat my own body. As long as I'm spiritual, I can live as I please. Do you see how this mentality is dangerous to the way that we see our world, is dangerous to the way that we see our neighbors? This kind of Gnosticism on individual levels is dangerous in and of itself, but when it's writ large, it has very disastrous consequences. Tomorrow, we celebrate Juneteenth. It's been a lot of stuff that's happened around the lyrics, some amazing events. I know there's stuff tomorrow I hope you get to be a part of, but this celebration of emancipation and freedom from slavery that we come to yearly is, is a good opportunity to remind us of what this mentality looks like when it's writ large. Because as you probably know, many of the slaveholders of the American South did it with Bibles in their hands, claiming to follow Jesus all the way, not just ignoring the Bible in the process, but using the Bible to justify their sin and evil against people made in the image of God. Many openly sought, if you didn't know this, the salvation of those whom they enslaved. They wanted them to come to Jesus, but not be physically free. Why? Because as long as their souls, the good parts, were saved, it didn't matter how we treated their bodies. Listen to this. This is a, a mid-1800s slaveholder baptism liturgy that they used when they tried to bring about salvation among the enslaved. It says, you declare in the presence of God before the congregation that you do not ask for the holy baptism out of any design to free yourself from the duty and obedience you owe to the master while you live, but merely for the good of your soul and to partake of the graces and blessings promised to the members of the church of Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Evil. Evil. All the cause we've created a theology where spiritual things matter, but bodies don't. It's all built on this heresy that is still present in many forms and facets across our world today. The Bible begins, I hope you know, with creating our bodies, our whole selves, and what does God call them? Good. The Bible is centered on God taking upon flesh and blood, dying and then rising again with a physical, redeemed and renewed body. The Bible actually ends not with us it's somewhere high up in the sky floating on a cloud as a spirit, but with the resurrection of our own physical bodies, redeemed and restored like Jesus in a new heaven and a new earth. There is no aspect of the biblical story that does not honor and move us toward the redemption of our physical reality, our physical body. Later in Romans 8, it says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up into the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, soma, 
bodies. When Paul is contrasting the flesh and the spirit in our passage today, please, as you read this, do not use it to demean our physical bodies that God has called good. Are they impacted by sin and the brokenness of our world? Yes, but they are not evil. They are not the enemy, and they are moving towards redemption as well. Isn't that good news? That's good news. And it means that the work of the Spirit, when we speak about this, isn't just something that happens in our minds. It's something that takes place in our bodies as well. Here's how Paul continues in our passage today. He says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death and sin because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. I hope you see this promise that it's not just our, our minds and our spirits that are impacted and involved in our spiritual growth. It is our bodies as well. Can I tell you one of the biggest mistakes I've made personally in my spiritual growth? I have unintentionally seen my mind as the sole means of changing how my body lives. And so what I have done quite often is I want to grow, so I just start shoving content into my mind, expecting eventually I'll get the right information which will then change my body, right? And so I've listened to all the sermons, I've tried to read all the right books, thinking that eventually something will click. Now, information and good theology and good doctrine is good and right and true. But what we find over time is that that doesn't always trickle down into the way that we live. The fruit of these efforts, as well-intentioned as they often are, are minimal in our actual lived Experience And Paul, not only in Romans chapter 8, but throughout Romans, he's offering us a different way of understanding our growth moving forward. Take Romans 12, 1 and 2, a very popular, well-known passage of Paul. He says this, and speaking to this absolute reality, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, not your, just your spirits, not just your socks, your foot, your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Notice the progression in this passage. In view of God's mercy, in view of the cross and the resurrection, what he has done on your behalf, in view of this, offer your body, your physical reality. How? It says by not conforming to the patterns 
of this world, meaning unlearning the patterns and the practices of the flesh that come from the brokenness of our sin. And what happens as a result, Paul says, is the renewing of our minds, the way we think and see the world in light of the Spirit of God. The process is unlearning the flesh, unlearning the way that we walked in the reality we had apart from God, and relearning our lives in and through the Spirit of God. It begins in offering our bodies. Sometimes our bodies participate in our growth before our minds can catch up. Sometimes we obey and we do what God has called us to do before we feel it or think it's right. And in that obedience, we find that our minds are changed. And the goal is bigger, I hope you know, than just being good little boys and girls. The Holy Spirit's work in us, it goes beyond just changing our behavior and it moves into forming our character. Let me give you an example of Say, for instance, hypothetically, I have a problem with anger. That's very hypothetical. Can never happen. I'm short-tempered, and my emotions are, they often get the best of me, and it impacts all of my relationships. It impacts my relationship with my wife, with my kids, with my friends. It's noticeable, but, but the Holy Spirit has begun to give me this sense of conviction about this anger problem I have, not from condemnation, because our passage told us last week we're free from condemnation, right? But the Holy Spirit has begun convicting me about my anger, and so I'm, I'm feeling the compassion of God, and I'm moving towards repentance. Now, I know this anger is a fruit of my flesh, and and so I'm, I'm offering in this, with this passage in mind, I'm offering not just my mind, not just good information about anger to change. I'm offering my whole body to the leadership of the Spirit and asking Him to work in every facet of my life. And in the process, I begin to notice that this anger that comes up in my flesh is often felt in my body before it's understood in my mind. You ever had that feeling like you've been angry and you feel angry before you even know why you're angry? And so as I do, knowing that the Holy Spirit is not just involved in my mind but is involved in my body, I, I begin to think about Romans 12.1. It says, offer your body. So maybe I take a walk, cool down. Maybe I try to slow my breathing and I pray silently. I process my emotions and my feelings and I cry out to God. I bring my whole self, everything I feel, and I don't hold back because I know that God is not afraid of my worst, of my emotions at their worst, of my anger at its worst, that God is not scared off by what I feel and think and act like. I can bring it all to Him. So when my wife and kids or whoever happens to be in the path of this emotion that I feel, as I come to them, I'm already hopefully beginning to learn how to partner with the Holy Spirit to choose to speak from a place of love and not of anger. And in the process, 
as I learn to listen to both the spirit in my body and the spirit in my mind, I'm learning and unlearning what I need to in order to relearn the way of Jesus in my life. I hope you're hearing me here. And what happens when I continue to submit my mind and my body to the work of the Spirit, to offer it as a living sacrifice, step by stumbling step, the Holy Spirit doesn't just change my behavior, He forms my character. He doesn't just change how I act, He changes who I am. I hope you see the difference between the Spirit being what drives this Christian behavior modification and actual Jesus-centered spiritual formation. One says, change what you do to be a good person. The other says, change who you are as you become more and more like Jesus and offer your whole self to God. Behavior modification is a false gospel that will get you nowhere. Try harder Christianity is a false gospel that will wear you down. One changes how we act temporarily. One changes who we are in the long term. And I want to speak as we close into what this means in the context of community. Because I think what we need to understand as we come to the scriptures, is that while there are many me promises, there are a lot more we promises. In fact, the me promises only really make sense in the context of what Paul and what others who write to us are saying for the promises of we. To be a part of a church, I think, at its very core is to share this common commitment that we have not arrived yet, right? That what makes us a church sitting in these seats today or next Sunday or in our community group or DNA group is a common commitment, a common idea that God's not done yet with me. And maybe the only thing that would make you feel uncomfortable or like you don't fit in around here is that you've believed that you have already arrived. But that what we share in common is the knowledge that we are a work in progress. And as works in progress, there is a deep humility and a willingness to walk with one another through the messiness of growth. Because real growth is messy. Real community and the growth that happens in the context of community is messy. And so, my encouragement today, as we call ourselves this church restoration, is that the restoring work of God in making us like Jesus, and forming our character, would happen in relationships with others where we share in a room like this today this idea that Jesus ain't done with us yet. Jesus isn't done with me yet. He's not done with you yet. And he's not done with collectively us yet. We are being formed into the image of Jesus. I'd love 
in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul writes about this. I love the message paraphrase. We'll close with this. It says, you will, we're all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction. So stay together. Both outwardly and inwardly, you have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth and tell it in love like Christ in everything. We, make our, we take our lead from Christ who is the source of everything that we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flow through us, nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God, robust in love. A spirit-filled church is one that is being formed into the image of Jesus, that is being formed to be like Him. And what I come before you today sharing, and hopefully sharing with you not just as words, but as reality, is that God is not done with us. That what Philippians 1.6 says is he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. What God starts in us, he always finishes. So I, not only as individuals, but as a church, I am so deeply hopeful of what God is forming here. Not because we have the right ideas or strategies, because we figured everything out in church world I'm encouraged and hopeful because the Spirit of God is forming a people who are submitting their whole selves to Him together in community and being made into the image of Jesus. And that is all we could ever pray for. So Father, as we come and submit our whole selves to You, not just our minds or our spirits, but our, our bodies. We do so, Lord, humbly realizing that we've not shown up here a finished product. But in all life being repentance, we come humbly and hopefully knowing that your spirit is not one of condemnation as we seek change, but one of compassion and grace. So we offer our whole selves to you, Holy Spirit. May you stir in each one of us as you speak today ways in which we are being called deeper into being conformed into the image of your Son. Not just showing us bad behavior that should be good, but showing us how we and the fullness of your Spirit can be like Speak as you do, as you always do. Do what we can't do up here with songs or words. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Change, convict, bring life out of death. Where there is death, bring resurrection in us, around us, and through us. We pray this in your name. Amen. We remember this morning the sacrifice of Jesus for us elements here on the table. There's some in the back as well in the lobby if you would like to participate with us.
bread representing Jesus' body broken for us, the juice representing his blood shed for our sins. We do this every single week because we need physical remembrances of our unity with God and our unity with one another. So we encourage you this morning as we continue on into a time of prayer to take these elements with us. You don't have to, but we'd love for you to participate as we move forward in Christ.